Okay, so hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of Default Global. This is where we connect with global first entrepreneurs and remote work experts from all around the world to share their experiences and knowledge. So our guest today is Tori Rees, uh, CEO and co-founder at Equi. Tori, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here. Absolutely. Sorry, before we start, could you briefly introduce yourself and maybe walk us through uh, the, the journey that led you to where you are now? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, like you said, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Equi. Um, we're a financial technology company that's, you know, equal parts hedge fund and technology company. Um, although my background is not uh, in the investing world, it's actually in the technology world. So I spent uh, almost a decade in the Bay Area. Uh, this is my third financial technology company. Um, my first two were in, um, you know, the lending space, uh, you know, closer to lending and payments than to investing. Um, but really what brought me to where I am today is that, uh, you know, I've been very passionate about financial literacy for a very long time. I've taught, you know, classes for almost a decade. And um, through that experience, you know, dealing with entrepreneurs and executives and you know people from all walks of life and how they think about and relate to money um that led me you know to think about it a lot and so when i found myself in a position where you know i was fortunate to you know finally have some li liquidity in my life um from my second company it forced me down this rabbit hole of you know uh, what do i do to protect it you know a lot of times people will concentrate to create wealth and then they want to diversify to keep their wealth and so i found myself in a position of really wanting to diversify and not being happy with the options that i found so that's really what led me to you know where we are today and and as a ceo of equi you've been involved in this transforming the movement of capital right um, could you could you tell us more about equi and how it combines investment form like like you mentioned and this technology company aspects what what makes equi unique in the market yeah so you know there's a lot of solutions out there that act as marketplaces where you know you can go to find deals and um, the company is essentially you know, it's, it's more a place where uh, investments are transacted, but they themselves do not manage any investments. And so I think that's one of the key distinctions is that we actually, you know, have an investment team, you know, with investment professionals and a lot of the technology we build and the models we build and the data we focus on is actually on the investing side. And that's because we felt to build a solution in this space and we focused on you know alternative investments we needed a team capable of actually building financial products that fit the needs of our customers rather than just trying to sell what was already out there and i think that um you know when it comes to um you know public investing or public market investing or even crypto i think it's enough to just build the infrastructure to allow people to trade um but in our industry you know, in, in alternative investments, I think the best companies are those that can both create the technology and build the financial products themselves, uh, you know, to suit the needs of the customer. And, and, you know, I think there will be a future where there's enough, um, like enough financial products of like high quality have been built where, you know, there can be then just technology companies to distribute them, but I don't think we're there yet. And so we're trying to help move that forward. 
Got it. And uh, one of your core values is uh, so-called tikkun olam, right? So which which mm -hmm. reflects your belief in uh, repairing the world through giving time, knowledge, and money, right? So how does mm -hmm. equi um, align with this value? How how uh, and how how do you integrate this social impact into your investment strategies? Can you talk more about it? Yeah. Um, well, so it happens, I think, on a couple of different levels. Uh, you know, I'm of the belief that it's important that we're able to, um, you know, that we're aligned with our intent. You know, many of the people who are at the company, they're, yes, we all want to be able to produce a return and achieve financial security for ourselves, like, of course. But, you know, we all, uh, one of the things that unites the whole team is that we do feel that we have an obligation to, you know, leave the world a little bit better than the way we found it. And early on, when you're a company that's not generating huge revenue and maybe you can't put as much like money towards causes, you know, that means you can put time. And so, you know, there's small things you can do early in a company's life. Like we had our first day of service um, just a few months ago where, you know, we went to a food kitchen and, and we spent the whole day, you know, volunteering. And I think like activities like that, like where you're actually you're you're leading with your actions is just as important as what we hope to do, which is we hope to integrate, you know, charitable giving into the platform ourselves. So we can give, you know, portions of our profit towards causes we care about, but also integrate in the platform so that our customers can do that as well. Um, so that's one element. And then what I would say is like, the other thing, you know, when, the way I think about it is like, a big part of why we started this company and we did it not just as a hedge fund, but why we're also a technology company is that if we had started as a hedge fund, you and I wouldn't be talking right now. We wouldn't have customers that are, you know, normal, uh, like regular investors. Um, we would only be selling to institutional investors and no one would ever even really know, meaning no one outside the institutional world would know that we exist. So I think even the fact that we are, you know, selling to uh, self-directed individual investors, you know, that's, that's actually aligned with our belief that like we want to put um, you know, better products in the hands of more people. And speaking about investors, uh, one of the uh, challenges investors face when exploring alternative markets is this huge number of options available, right? So from thousands yeah. of private funds. So how does, can we go a bit maybe uh, deeper? How, how, how does Equis technology and this data-driven approach help investors identify the most promising opportunities yeah so like i mentioned earlier like i don't think it's helpful to have a marketplace if the you know if investors don't know how to decide between like if you have a hundred different options like if i said to you hey here's five you know long short volatility funds choose the best one you know you'd have a really hard time doing that i would as well right and you know i work in this space but when you have a team of investment professionals who that's what all they've done their entire career and they can actually evaluate that, you know, a big part of what separates us is we really only want the absolute, absolute cream of the crop. And so, you know, having a managed portfolio of these types of investments is a better solution, we think, fundamentally than, you know, just having a lot of options where you might not know what you're actually investing in or whether or not it's the, the best. Uh, and so I think, you know, we use data, like we, we've gathered enough data at this point where we have data going back decades on almost 13,000 uh, different funds. 
And we do a lot of quantitative analysis across everything from, you know, correlation and their efficiency and their returns and the size of the fund itself. So like their, you know, the efficiency given their size, things like that. And we're able to sift through it to find really, you know, the top 1%. And then it's within that universe that we're then actually starting the real diligence process, which can last three months for a single investment, you know, or more. And so that, that, that level of, of in-depth, uh, you know, we, we think that's what it takes to like ensure that you're getting the best. And, you know, you're not really seeing that when you're, when you're in a marketplace and you're just kind of, you know, guessing. Okay. Yeah. It, it sounds cool. And I guess it sounds different from what we have uh, in the market. Right. So, um, okay. So maybe let's, let's, let's talk about your, your, your team, right? So you, as an experienced founder and CEO, you, you have been successful in attracting top talent to, to equity. So, so, uh, What, what what principles do you follow when hiring early early employees? Right? How do you ensure this alignment and vision, shared values, and this functional expertise? Can you talk yeah. more about it? Yeah, you know, I think early on, um, you know, we we say it as like you really need to find missionaries, not mercenaries. Um, you know, to me, a missionary is someone that joins a company because they believe in the mission and what you're doing. And they're not necessarily driven by, you know, who's the highest bidder in the market, because it, it, it's always the case that there will be a company, uh, you know, usually a large corporation or, you know, a much more advanced stage startup that will pay more. But the experience that you have is going to be very different. You're going to learn less, most likely um, you're going to have less autonomy uh, and, and you're going to have less of an impact and really, you know, driving the business forward. And so, you know, I think looking for characteristics of people who, you know, really are driven by what you're doing and why you're doing it, um, you know, and, and early on, you oftentimes hire just really smart, capable generalists who you can say, hey, here's a problem, go run at it. And, and they go and they figure it out. And I think that changes because like, as you grow, you, you start to need more specialists. But in those early hires, it's like, I think you really want to hire for intelligence and potential more than uh, experience because a lot of the problems are also going to be new and going to require people that can just think critically and, and figure things out. And uh, it was somewhere in your interviews, I guess, uh, where you mentioned this unique approach that you have uh, when mm, approach of hiring contractors first and then transitioning them to full-time employees right so could, could you share more about this this approach uh, how does it work and what what advantage uh, uh we might have with this approach yeah we, we don't do this for all roles but mm -hmm. uh you know we, there's a few examples where um you know like one example i can give you is that you know when i originally hired um i hired an ea contract that's very common um but she did incredible work. She was, you know, very focused, very detail oriented, understood the context. Like she started doing far more than just, you know, uh, helping me manage, you know, my time. And, and, and she became much more like a chief of staff. And as she was doing more and more, you know, we moved her towards a biz ops role and we actually helped her also relocate because she was overseas and we helped her relocate to the same time zone so that we could be better aligned. And if you look today, she's gone from, you know, EA 
to associate product manager because she had said from the very beginning that like her goal was to get into product. And we supported her and, you know, in her free time, she was taking UX design courses. She was taking product courses. She was doing SQL. Like she was taking all of this, you know, on herself to take uh, the professional development in addition to her normal tasks. But the flexibility of like starting as a contractor, you know, you can have four or five people start as contractors. And if they prove themselves and earn the trust of the team, you know, make a path towards full-time work. And then I would say what's even more exciting is to say, not only can be a path towards full-time work, but like if they're really exceptional, we can create a path towards, you know, an internal transfer or moving into other specialties within the organization. And so I think like having paths like that is important because the burden that, I mean, like the overhead to hire a contractor, in my opinion, is lower than to hire an employee you need a little bit less upfront vetting because it essentially, you'll know a lot more through that, you know, first month of the contract um, than you would through interviewing. And so that gives you a way to sort of like, Hey, we need someone right now. So we're going to hire, you know, we're going to hire, we're going to do like one or two screens and hire a contractor. And then we can decide if we want to keep them on or convert them even over, over time. And I think it's also great for the contractors because they get to see what the organization is like, see what the team is like, and if they align with the, uh, the work that we're doing. Yeah, that's that's a very cool approach. And um, you, I, I check your website, and you have a number of openings right now, and all of them are on site, right? So, but have you ever thought about like hiring employees outside of the US and maybe benefiting from uh, local talent who might be a part of some, you know, local fintech unicorn, Velstech unicorn, I don't know, and who might already have like uh, who, who who might already gained this expertise that is hard to acquire in such a competitive market as the U.S. Have you ever thought about this? Yeah, we we did. Um, we actually started remote and have mm-hmm. transitioned towards uh, a hybrid culture. So today, I think of us actually as default in-person with flexible work arrangements. And so there are a couple employees who are fully remote and, and actually our entire engineering team is fully remote But then everybody else, most of the business functions, product, like design, those are in person. Um, and so, you know, again, I think this is a, a lot of this is a preference thing. Um, you know, the entire, t- like the entire team that's co-located today, all those people enjoy the energy of getting together, working collaboratively. Like they don't want to necessarily work from home. Um, and that's not what suits them. And, you know, I, I can only speak for myself, personal preference. Like I love the energy of being in the office with everyone. That being said, when we hire on the engineering team or when we hire for remote roles, we're very, very closely vetting for people who have a proven ability to work, you know, remotely be self-directed. And I think it does take a very different type of individual to excel in a fully remote role than it does someone in a in-person environment. I don't think it's actually interchangeable. And so I think what's nice about our culture is that we do have flexible work arrangements where people work from home, you know, on, on Mondays and, and Fridays, but if they also like, you know, have a sick kid, they can work from home or if they're visiting in-laws, you know, they can you know work remotely for a week. And like, we accommodate that type of flexibility and the culture is built around supporting our remote employees in addition to in-person. So it does give us the ability to look at each role and think what is going to make this role most successful? Where does it need to be? Is it remote? Is it in Miami? Is it in New York? And and then we can make that decision. 
Yeah, that's that's very great. That that that's that's just great that you have this flexibility, you know. So, um, Equi uh, has experienced this significant growth, going from the only three co-founders, right, to a team of how many? Forty in just twelve months, right? So, no, um, we're, I'm... we're only twenty-four people. I'm actually proud of the fact that we are not a lot of people. Um, oh, a lot really? of people use headcount as like a glamour metric. To me. The ultimate glamour metric is revenue per headcount. If we can do the work of, you know, a hundred people with only 20, or we're able to produce enormous amounts of revenue with very few people, that to me is a point of pride. That's true leverage, as opposed to saying like, oh, look at how many people we have um, as some sort of measure of success. Because I don't think that ne that necessarily equates. Mm -hmm. That's that's cool. And speaking about growth and expansion, then, uh, given this, uh, given that you, your company operates on a, this international level, right, and has successfully acquired number of clients outside of the US, could you maybe elaborate on the complexity of growing um, uh, your business globally and how you're expanding your customer reach at the at this international level? Let's call it like that. Yeah, yeah. So so one area where we are default global is our customer base. So from day one, we've actually had customers all around the world because as it ends up, some of the greatest demand for these types of products come outside the US where people want diversification. Um, you know, Not only are these products world-class in the United States, but internationally. Uh, and what's nice about alternatives is it's actually a bit easier to accommodate international investors and international tax law using alternative investments than it is with public securities. So it's actually the best of both worlds where it allowed us to be, you know, to serve clients in whether they're in Hong Kong, Singapore or LATAM or Europe. Um, you know, those are turning out to be some of our largest uh, customer bases and it provides excellent diversification from what's going on in their local economy. But also even diversification from, you know, the U.S. and, and U.S. economy, because that, that's the benefit of these investments is we're ultimately designing products and finding strategies that perform across all different market environments whether it's going you know up sideways or down that that's our goal got it and with this current economic downturn and these challenges that it brings like a, such as layoffs you know this reduced investor activity many companies are looking for ways to to, I guess, cut their cost and maybe looking for alternative markets. So from, from your perspective, what, what, what companies can do to reduce costs while still maintaining growth in the card market? Don't you think, don't you think that this uh, global business expansion might help with this? Yeah, I, you know, I even had a conversation with a founder who's in our space. Uh, you know, his, he's in the real estate uh, sector specifically, whereas we're more focused on hedge funds and liquid alternatives. Um, but we have very similar businesses and he's Argentinian and his entire, he has a 30 person engineering team and product team in Argentina. And he let go of all of his US based engineers and, and product hires because his cost basis there is probably 30% of what it is here in the United States. But what he and I discussed and what I, I, I tend to agree with him on is that the only thing that enables him to do that is his CTO is based in Argentina. They've started multiple companies together. You know, they have an office that people go into. So what's interesting is it's not actually remote because there's, there is a full office and everyone goes to it and there's a full culture and there's leadership boots on the ground. 
And so I look at that. And to me, I think that that is, um, that is a very, you know, intelligent form of expansion where the, he's leveraging his strengths, his con connections and relationships. You know, he's native Argentinian, speaks the language, knows the culture. Uh, and it's very different. I, you know, I, I think that like, if you're going to invest in international expansion, doing so with someone that you really trust that can have boots on the ground and can like be in charge of those operations, I think goes a long way. Got it. And um, with, with, again, with this uh, economic downturn that has led to increased uh, volatility in public markets, right? So mm -hmm. how does Equis uh, investment strategy reassure investors about you know this safeguarding their wealth and you know reaching financial freedom even during yeah. this tough time can, can you yeah. talk more about it yeah simply put um i think a lot of people underestimate how valuable it is to avoid losing money <laughs> everyone's very focused on how do i make 100x or how do i make 20x um but the reality is if you as an investor can design a portfolio and put your money into investments that when everybody else is losing, you know, 20, 30% or more where you don't lose money and you're compounding from a higher and higher cost basis, you are going to end up so much further ahead uh, due to the nature of compounding investments. And so that's why we have a lot of pride that the investments on our platform, even in a really tough year, like last year, they were not losing money. You know, they were performing well, they were low volatility. And so that's why we think our investments are there to protect and compound wealth as opposed to a focus on, you know, oh, we're going to get you, you know, 200% or a thousand percent returns. Like that is not our focus. There are places you can go to do that, but we tend to think of that as more like lottery or, or like casino type investing. Whereas, or and, and that's more like, to me, that's more gambling than it is investing. And the, what we bring to our platform is, 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 you know, more investing in the true sense where we really focus on not losing money and compounding from a higher and higher cost basis. Sorry, and probably my, my final question, uh, as an investor, you focus on hedge fund investing and this leveraging technology to beat the market, right? So mm -hmm. how can entrepreneurs and maybe tech leaders incorporate the similar strategies to drive growth in their business, not specifically maybe in the financial market? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think the best way right now to grow amidst volatility is to be very, very conscious of your costs and to be forecasting very conservatively. And if you can be the company that survives resources in the form of, you know, employees, you know, labor, things like that, like do, do become less expensive, more attainable. There's less competition in recessions and in crisis. So there in many ways are more opportunity, but the only way you can take advantage of that opportunity is if you're alive. So I would say focusing on survival and being conservative is what's going to allow you to then when the, when, you know, the large opportunity presents itself during a crisis, it will allow you to capitalize. If however, you know, you're, spending, you know, overspending and like going very aggressive, um, it can be actually more difficult during these periods of time to, to capitalize because, you know, it kind of puts you with your back against the wall. Got it. Okay. So I guess, I guess we're good. So um, 
thanks a lot, Tori, for sharing your insights on how equity is currently transforming the financial market, on your hiring strategy and principles that you follow, and on international business expansion. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot. We wish you and Equi all the best in your journey. Uh, appreciate the time very much. Yeah, no, thank you for having me.